I am a little, little low energy this morning for a number of reasons. One is just on the tail end of uh, a little bit of a cold and also got back late last night from uh, being out in Portland, Oregon, where my 102-year-old grandfather, we call Gramps, was awarded a Purple Heart along with some other medals. And uh, the, mil the military had kind of dropped the ball a little bit on awarding that and it all got situated. So I was able to be out there and part of that ceremony, which was really meaningful to me for a number of reasons. One of them is that my, my Gramps is a person of faith. I asked him, he didn't talk much about his time in the, as a prisoner of war. He was a POW in Germany for about 19 months, and I didn't, we didn't talk about it a lot, but I, I asked him at some point about that experience and kind of if there was anything that he, he wished had gone differently or he could have done differently, and when he was there and he said, I wish I knew the Lord during that time. He didn't, it wasn't, he said he wasn't a Christian at the time and became one later and realized how valuable it would have been in that context to have the preciousness of the Lord's presence when he, the future was completely unknown. And then when I became a believer myself and was started exploring what God was asking me to do in my life, I uh, came to find out that my gramps had been praying for me specifically to become a believer and even to be involved in ministry at some point. So I say all that because your prayers really matter, uh, even when it comes to faith being born. And as we talk about evangelism, which is a loaded term, it depends on what your exposure or experience to, to that is. Uh, for some people, that may feel like a very hostile word, certainly, or intimidating. It actually means good news. In fact, we saw last week, we're share, we share with conviction. And the conviction we share with is that we really do have good news to offer, and we unpack that more in our own lives, and we long for, as a consequence, other people to know it as well. But there are all kinds of barriers to it, so we want to spend a few weeks thinking about not only sharing with conviction, today sharing in dependence, and the next week sharing with intentionality, uh, as we think together about what that means and how we participate in evangelism, which is simply sharing the good news. So uh, it's not just something that is for those of us who have been quote unquote called to the ministry, which is insider language, uh, just people who are vocationally pastors or, or missionaries. Actually, we see this as something last week that we are all called to do in loving obedience. We looked at Romans 1 and said, wow, this really is good news that we have to share. But then also the command that Christ gives to actually share that. And the motive then is obedience, but a, a, obedience of love, a response, a reflexive response to the grace that we've received, but obedience nonetheless. And maybe the theme verse here that you see in front of you, Philemon 6, is this amazing observation Paul makes that he prays actually for this group of believers, for a church, that they'd be active in sharing their faith. Not just so that other people can hear, that's true, but also so that they would have a benefit. There's something about sharing your faith that gives you a deeper understanding of what you have in Christ. That's what Paul says anyway. 
And, uh, and I think some of us have seen how that might be the case. So we're going to look a little bit about sharing independence. Um, well, I guess it is kind of like independence, like you're free, but sharing in dependence on something else. And just to let you know that uh, I'm not the only person who um, thinks about this stuff, and it's not just for people who maybe have a title. Terry Bortz is going to come and share her own experience with this as well. So, Terry? This is one of my favorite topics, but it wasn't always so. Um, I became a Christian when I was 26, and for 10 years I didn't share my faith. Why? I didn't know how. I was afraid. I was afraid of what people would think of me. Um, I was afraid they'd ask a question I couldn't answer. I was afraid I would do a bad job. I was afraid they wouldn't pray to receive Christ. And it wasn't my gift. So, let's see if we can get this to work. So most of us are not called to be Billy Graham. Most of us are not called to witness to millions of people around the world, and, um, but we are called to share with the people in our circle, the people that God put there. And so, but how? How could I share with them? So God got a hold of me when I started working with Athletes in Action, and um, that's part of Campus Crusade for Christ. Dr. Bill Bright started Campus Crusade, which is now known as Crew back in 1951 on the campus of UCLA. And when he spoke to our staff, he always talked about one of three things, sometimes all three. The first one was the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. The second was never leave your first love. Always make Jesus the number one priority in your life. And the third was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he said, That doesn't help. There you go. There we go. A successful witness is sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. A successful witness is sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. What? I'm not responsible for how the person responds. That's God's job. But I still didn't know where to start. So I learned that I needed to talk to God about people before I talked to people about God. Don't go alone. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead, guide, and empower us to share with people. And he takes the blinders off. He gives them hearts of flesh, and he gives them the faith to believe. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Every unbeliever is spiritually blind. Is it our job to take the blinders off? No, it's the Holy Spirit's. Our job is to obey and learn and pray and step out of our comfort zone. What a blessing. What a privilege God gives us to come alongside him as he draws people to himself. So Dr. Bright wrote a really simple book that you've probably seen at The Four Spiritual Laws. And um, it's just a simple and powerful way to share the gospel. I started praying for opportunities, and sure enough, they came. I shared with people on airplanes, back when people talked on airplanes. And I was so nervous at first. But the more I did it, the easier it became and the more exciting it became. So 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7, this is Paul speaking. I planted the seed in their hearts. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. 
It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. You may not know which one you're doing, but you are part of God's plan to draw people to himself. You may be the first person to share with someone and they, they're just not interested. Or you may be the fifth person and that person starts to wonder, what's going on? Why are these people keep sharing this with me? Or you may be the person who shares and they are ready and you get to pray with them as they enter the kingdom of God. There is nothing like it. It, it is so exciting, but each step is necessary. So I started out asking questions when I would meet someone, finding out who they were, finding out their story, um, finding common ground with them, and then trying to turn the conversation to spiritual things. That allowed me to share my story and, and also led to the gospel. I would ask permission if I could share the four spiritual laws, and sometimes we would read them together. And then I would, I would answer any questions they might have. It's okay to say, I don't know. Um, and then I would ask them if they wanted to ask Jesus into their life as Lord and Savior. I would give them the booklet to take home, and I would make suggestions like read the Gospel of John, find a good church, pray, etc. So a few years ago, I met another one of my spiritual heroes. His name is Dave Gibson. I'm sure you've never heard of him. He is a missions and evangelism pastor at Grace Church outside Minneapolis. Dave helped me with the Super Bowl breakfast when it was in Minneapolis about five years ago and has become a good friend. Dave shares with every person he meets. I'm not kidding. He has such a heart for the Lord and so much love for people, it comes naturally. He shares with every Uber driver, every server, every repairman, people on planes, everyone. I want to be like Dave. So think of three to five people that, that you know who don't know the Lord and start praying for them and see what God does. I prayed for my mom for 26 years. She finally prayed to receive Christ six months before she passed away. And God allowed me to say that prayer with her. Another person I prayed with for seven years recently asked me to lunch and talked about getting serious about his relationship with God. Another answer to prayer. So at AIA, we took the four spiritual laws and we made a booklet that you'll receive today. I'd like to ask Leslie and Ed Hell to pass them out, one per adult. Um, and we have, we have more, so if you need more, let me know. Um, but we wanted to make it applicable to a multi-ethnic audience. And so this is called Knowing God Personally Reconciled into God's Family. And it's the four spiritual laws plus some other information. So I carry a few in my purse just in case. You never know when the opportunity is going to come. I also have it on my phone. In case I don't have that, I always have the gospel on my phone. So if you had the cure for cancer, what would you do? Would you hide it? Would you never talk about it? Or would you shout it from the rooftops? You'd be shouting it from the rooftops. Well, we have the cure for sin. So let's shout it from the rooftops. And remember, there is no such thing as a boring testimony. It's a miracle. Every God takes someone from death to life. So come to the evangelism seminar on the 23rd. We have lots of tools, lots of fun things that we're going to do. And believe me, if, you, if I can do it, you can do it. Terry, thank you so much. Because I think something like evangelism, it can feel understandably like it's for people, a specific kind of person. And I even sense that sometimes. I mean, I'm a pastor, but like I said last week, evangelism's not my gift per se when I take a spiritual gifts. I've had opportunities to share with the Lord. And in some ways, uh, being a pastor maybe makes it easier to turn conversations 
spiritually into spiritual realities. I've, I've, I mean, people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor, and I can always say, what do you think about that? Or what's been your experience with pastors? Or what's your experience with the church? And they typically are very honest with me about that, and we can have a conversation. I had a missions uh, professor as well who was just a classic kind of evangelist that would preach to the monkeys if they listened. And he'd have somebody who would call him up, as we have all the time. You know, there's, I don't think he ever said no to a phone call. You know, for me, I've got the Google thing that says, say why you're calling. And if I don't know who it is, it's like, I'm not answering that. He'd call everything and he'd say, hey, listen, you can tell me whatever you want to say, but only if I get to tell you something that I want you to hear afterwards. And he would evangelize to everybody. So maybe some of you are budding evangelists like that. Probably most of you are going to feel like that's not where I am. But you have a sense of calling to this as a follower of Christ. And that's what we want to do is equip you to be able to do that. And it can be intimidating and scary, but also incredibly rewarding. What I'd like to do today as we just look together at God's word actually is kind of pepper you with a number of, of verses that come from the book of Acts. And we're going to look real briefly through all of these realities because when I thought about people embracing the good news uh, in the scriptures, I don't know of any place where that happens more frequently than in the New Testament church being birthed. And these disciples who were unschooled, ordinary men, huddled together in a room out of fear when Jesus died. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them in John chapter 20. And one of the results of that is these men who were otherwise scared of what would happen go out to the ends of the earth. And they don't do it in their own power. We saw what happened in their own power. They were huddling together and afraid of men. And when the Holy Spirit comes on them, and he fills them, and he launches them out into the far reaches of the earth, just ordinary people, right there at the beginning of the book of Acts, such a great verse. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. It goes on to say to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, all, all around the place. But the, the two words there that are important are power is actually dunamis. Does anybody know what that might mean in English? It's dynamite, right. It's the best way to go fishing, right? Stick a dynamite into a pond, and bam, you got lots of fish. Because it has the power to make a difference. So... The Holy Spirit literally is power for you to be witnesses, martyreo, martyrs. I know that doesn't sound like a very attractive word either, but the ones who are declaring that the gospel really is true. So let's look just together, come on a journey with me through some of these opening chapters uh, of Acts and see how involved the Holy Spirit is in making all this stuff happen. In Acts chapter 2, we see a couple of verses here squeezed together. The disciples are all gathered together in verse 4, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The people from all the nations were gathered together for a feast, and God's Holy Spirit comes on these unschooled, ordinary men in a way that when they're speaking, it's intelligible to those who are gathered, and everybody hears the good news declared in their own language. It's a miracle. 
That's something that only the Holy Spirit could do. In verse 41, we see that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, what a newcomer's class they must have had for that church. How do you manage that kind of growth? I don't know. But this is something that God's Spirit is doing right from the beginning. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are sharing uh, after healing uh, a man, and they've been arrested. And we read this. Many others, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The elders and teachers of the law began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man is healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is why I was saying last week, if we've received the good news of Christ, if we've experienced that ourselves, it, it does launch us toward the sharing piece of what's happened inside of me. There's a compulsion to do that. And sometimes that happens if you're somebody who's been following Christ for a while in the beginning days that you're electrified with, with all the, the joy and there's ups and downs along the way for sure. But how much more do we need even God's spirit then if we're not feeling it? You know, I'm not feeling it. Then at other times when we actually are. I, I love how Paul talks about to the Galatian church, you know, you began by the Spirit. Why are you throwing him aside now? You need to continue in the Spirit. So we see God's Spirit active here in this whole reality of sharing the good news, but goes on in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and then also 38 to 39. Uh, Peter is released from jail because he's been sharing the good news. And we read, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And then later, this from a teacher of the law, because they were sharing, he says to the crowd, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only fight, find yourselves fighting against God. So this guy recognized, if, if this is a work of God's spirit, why, why fight against it? God will do what he wants to do. And so we as believers need to know that reality too. In Acts chapter 7, just a few verses later, Stephen, a great guy, shares with a, a crowd that's gathered his people together and, and he has a little different take on it at this point. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now Stephen's talking to people actually that he calls fathers and, and brothers, and he's looking at the history of his people, the Jewish people, and he looks at how often God has brought the good news to them, and they reject it. So if there's a rejection, it's a rejection of the Holy Spirit, not of you, not of the one who bears it, but of the one who's given the good news to the bearer. To the, he says, you've rejected the Holy Spirit. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 8, 
We see this experience with a sorcerer who would love to get in on the Holy Spirit because he sees there's power there. So he's trying to broker a deal, maybe buy the Spirit for money. And Peter answers, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. And, and yet, this person who was a person who wanted power sees there's power there. And then in Acts chapter 8, verses 29 through 31, a separate scene here, an Ethiopian, uh, Philip, is uh, a follower of Jesus, and the Spirit tells him, go to that chariot and stay, stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Such a, so much, that, that, this is a whole separate sermon, how this, uh, Philip takes an Old Testament passage and points to Christ. Begins there and says, this is about Christ. Way back in Isaiah. So we're looking at the Spirit's leading, the Spirit's involvement, the Spirit's empowering, the Spirit's equipping. In Acts chapter 9, after Paul is converted, his name was formerly Saul, but he embraces the good news, and as a result, he becomes a follower of Christ. Ananias, placing his hands on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria finally enjoys a time of peace. There's a lot of trouble, but it's strengthened and it's encouraged by the Holy Spirit and grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. When we talk about sharing, it's independence on the Holy Spirit. You see that right from the beginning of this blossoming church movement. And of course, it goes on. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, and also in verse 44, uh, Peter began to speak, and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then later, as he gives a report in Jerusalem, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized him with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, and persecution begins to scatter the church, and some of these individuals go to Antioch, and they begin to speak to the Greeks, also telling them the good news. Telling them the good news, again, the gospel about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. When Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know, I was thinking, that might be a good candidate for what I want on my gravestone. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so this man is filled with not his spirit, his own sense of, I can do it, but with God's spirit. In Acts chapter 13, this is a beautiful church, multi-ethnic church, and verses 1 through 4, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. One final one. Because you kind of get the idea, don't you? You're picking up what was being laid down here throughout the book of Acts. In chapter 13, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men, men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. So there's all this persecution going on and people are not responsive, but they're filled with joy. It's not a human response. And when you're relying in dependence on the Spirit, you'll have, non, you'll have divine responses in, in many ways. To think, it's just not humanly possible. That's the whole idea. God's spirit is indwelling you. And so if you feel like you're not up to the task or capable, you're in a great starting point there. We must be dependent on God's Holy Spirit. It's certainly those who were seeing this happen in the beginning. You do remember they were huddled in fear, and now they're going out to places they never would imagine. But they're only doing that because of their dependence on the spirit. So we have to be dependent on God's spirit for the power to do this, for the wisdom to do it, and frankly, for the perseverance to do this from beginning to end. So just a, a couple of brief thoughts on this. When I talk about being dependent on the Spirit, that's, what does that really mean? Well, it can mean a lot of different things, but one of the things I would suggest is that dependence on the Spirit is first and foremost cultivated in prayer. I began talking about how my gramps had prayed for me, and in, in God's you know, economy of operations, somehow it seems like that was what he used in part to draw me to himself. Terry was talking about this. And I think there's a bookmark in your bulletins. Did that get in there? I didn't check in advance. It's not there. There will be next week. Of your three to five people you can be praying for um, with some verses that you can be praying, just start there. I don't know of anything more dependent than prayer. I mean, you're, you're literally just talking to a person you cannot see, asking him to do something you, you cannot see. That's kind of dependent, don't you think, a little bit? And we, we do see that work out in time and space as part of why we even have stories of grace, but you start with prayer. I, I, you know, uh, Paul, Paul Miller, in his book, uh, on prayer talks about the best parenting he's ever done is on his knees. And it sounds like such a great statement. 
But if we, and if we really believed that, we'd be, we'd be praying a lot more, no matter what the situation may be, because we cannot control these outcomes. Only God can. He's the one who has the, the capability to affect change in the deepest part of a person's soul. In fact, back in Acts chapter 2, where we've been through the book of Acts, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. I know some of you are devoted to the Cincinnati Bengals. I can see that. You've got the, the bling going on, too. You know, so you spend time thinking about, rooting for, what you're devoted to, you, you, you give energy to. These people were devoted to prayer. They, they were dependent on God's spirit from the beginning. And we saw that in a couple of the verses we read as well. After they fasted and they prayed, then God launched them out. So we'll get those bookmarks to you and think about that. Who are the three to five people in your sphere of influence you can just start praying for? And there are some good verses there as well. If you don't know what to pray, that, that you can look up and pray, pray with those in mind too. A second, dependence on the Spirit is cultivated in the act of sharing with clarity. That's kind of confusing. What do I mean by that? Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read, salvation is found in no one else but in Christ. And we can't help but speaking about what we've seen or heard. So when I say with clarity, we've got a world where a lot of people believe a lot of different things. We're saying the good news that we have to share is that Christ is the Messiah, that God forgives sins because of Christ, that Christ dwelled on earth, that he was the light of life, and, and that there is only one way to get to heaven, through Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And that, that kind of exclusive claim is pretty clear. And it is a piece of the good news that maybe is a stumbling block for many, but God's responsibility is to take the veil away for them to see that. It does take a little bit of guts, doesn't it? To, be, to say something like that, especially in a context where we are. And yet, doesn't that mean we have to depend all the more on the Spirit? I mean, we don't have to put a thousand asterisks next to our gospel messages with a lot of disclaimers. This is it. God sent Christ to save the world. That's the basic gospel. And when you do that, with that kind of clarity, well, you need the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, we just won't say anything. It may be closely related to that. Dependence on the Spirit is cultivated in the act of sharing with boldness. I mean, it's amazing that Stephen called this group of people, you stiff-necked people. You know, resist the Holy Spirit, uncircumcised hearts. Pretty graphic stuff going on there. Saying, you are resistant to the Holy Spirit to a group of people who wouldn't receive that very well. But, but note that the boldness has a context. He knows these people. He actually, in that text, calls them brothers and fathers. And his boldness is couched in a historical narrative of God's long-suffering patience with those people. It's a very long chapter where, where Stephen says, you know the history, and then he finally gets to calling them stiff-necked people. It's a response to them questioning him. They've actually said, well, what are you talking about? And so they've given him an opportunity to speak. And he speaks with clarity, but also with boldness, knowing that there are people who need to hear this kind of language. So 
there's, there's a, a, another aspect to this, which is just the final thing to consider for today, and we'll talk more about this next week. The dependence on the Spirit is cultivated in the act of listening. You have to listen to God's Spirit. You know, when, 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 when Stephen spoke, and he spoke with that kind of brash response, um, he was led by the Spirit to do that. You could be very unwise to say something like that in a different context. If somebody clo- close to me, who uh, a friend of mine shared the gospel with her, took, took her to a, a dance, the only dance she'd been, been to, and said, uh, if you don't accept Christ, you're going to burn in hell. Now, that may be, that may be accurate summary, of, if you understand what the Bible is saying. But this girl left and uh, went home in tears. That, this, this, was, this was a dance that she was, she was going with no, no real relationship. So but th- that guy might call it boldness, but it really turned into bludgeon. And that's irresponsible, I would suggest. And you need to know who you're speaking to when you're speaking. So Terry was talking about this, listening to people, listening to their story. The Proverbs even talk about this as well. You know, he who who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. So there is, if you look at the Gospels, and we don't have time to do this, but you look at the way that Christ himself approaches, say, the woman at the well, very differently than the same people that Stephen was talking to, He doesn't come with heat in that situation because she's a woman who's very broken. And he comes with love and understanding. Sometimes you you need to to bring, you know, the noise, as it were. Wake up! And other times you you need to be just a, a quiet, asking voice. What's going on? And look for those opportunities. That's part of what I think we'll explore even at the Saturday seminar is how do we do any of this? And what if somebody asks me? What do I say? How do I explain it? What, how would I even articulate what's happened in me? In chapter 8, which we read earlier, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. chariot. So Philip's listening to the Holy Spirit. And he's being guided, prompted to go to somebody. But even then he says... Philip does to the person, do you understand what you're reading? He's asking questions. Where are you on this whole thing? And and then that person says, gives him the invitation. I I don't. Would you explain it to me? That's a different posture. Our life groups, some of them, are going through God's space. And the whole premise of that book is teaching us in our culture right now to be really good listeners and ask people where they're at before we start just sharing a message. And that takes some patience and dependence and trust and belief that God's Spirit's going to lead and direct at the right time in the right way. And that may seem overwhelming, but it's a, it's a grand adventure at the same time to just kind of see what is God's Spirit doing in this person. And that person may be very hostile and it might not be the right time. Most of the other references we looked at involved growth that came by virtue of the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. That, that's how it happened. These people were just sharing the good news, and the Holy Spirit did something. We plant, we sow, but God grows. And I hope that grants all of us a sense of freedom 
you know, share without a measure of fear, a sense of assurance that it's a work of the Spirit and also a sense of opportunity. I, if, if this is true, and, and I believe it is, and God's still working, so this is called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts, because he's not finished yet. He's still doing things. Even now, today, he's still at work. So then if we start thinking of it through the lens of opportunity, like, what's God doing around me? And you start looking for those opportunities, it kind of changes things, the way that you, the way that you interact with others. You're, you're looking for the way that God's Holy Spirit is giving opportunities for you, either just to pray for that person, or even ask a question, or perhaps even share. That takes a little energy, takes a little effort. It's easy just to put on nothing and just go about our business. But if we're compelled by the good news of the gospel, we don't have that luxury. And furthermore, if we are not doing that, we're missing out on something God has for us. I pray you'd be active in sharing your faith so you have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. So where is he at work and how can I participate? I hope you'll sign up for that Saturday seminar. It's from 9 to noon. We're going to talk about some more of this stuff. There's food, and we'll have a great time to be equipped and also to talk more. And next week, we'll look more at sharing with intentionality and sort of how we can get about the business of doing this. Father, we do pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with your Spirit. We know that in our own strength, we can do very, very little. And the danger, of course, is that when something happens, we do attribute it to ourselves. Oftentimes, we'll see that we're not dependent on the Spirit when we get angry or hostile toward people in their response. If we are pushy or vindictive, or, or if we make snap judgments about that person before we even sat and listened, help us to listen hard to people to be really good question askers, to be sensitive to the way that your spirit is leading us, to guide us with power, but with wisdom and with perseverance. We look forward to what that might mean for us as a congregation. Individually, yeah, but together, collectively, as a church that is called to declare the gospel wherever we are, and certainly to all the nations who are gathered in our midst. So come, Holy Spirit, do your work among us. We pray again in Jesus' name. Amen.